Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. Nicole, welcome back. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so this time we're bringing you back with a little more structure, I think, not just a little check-in from what you've been up to. Yeah, I'm honored. Yeah, so for the listeners here, we are going to be launching a new series uh, to go along with the podcast where Nicole is going to come in here about once a month and uh, host a podcast interview of, uh, for herself and, and, and a guest. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what your thoughts are around the, the kind of the idea of this series of episodes. Yeah, I guess I couldn't let you have all the fun here. <laughs> I saw you had this little podcast studio and I wanted in. So um, admittedly, you've really turned me on to the concept of podcasts. I historically wasn't a big listener, but um, nowadays it's, it's certainly fun to get in on the action. Um, in terms of what we wanted to do with my little series is, I really wanted the chance to talk to some of the individuals that I know that I interact with on a pretty regular basis, most of them being friends, and really tell their story about how they're going about at a high level performing from an athletic perspective, but also balancing other things such as their work or other passions. And so I wanted that chance because to me, I've always strived to have more of a balanced type of approach. I love to run at as high of a level as I can, but I've also really wanted to pursue a professional career. Um, I went to law school. And so for me, it's always been about that that concept of balance and the essence of how can you try and um, do as many things at a high level as possible. Um, so I really wanted to take the time to, to interview um, some guests who had that same mentality. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so like a professional career as well as like success in athletics is a really interesting kind of combination. And and one I think it's interesting because you know we we participate in ultra marathons. That's kind of like our sport of choice. And I know I've noticed it, and we've talked about this before. Is just from the first time I did an ultra marathon to today, there is just a lot more professionalism within it, where it's at a point where people are able to kind of have a career in the sport if they choose to go that direction. But it's also not like the NFL or the NBA where like you're going to have a career in most cases and after a few years retire and be set. Like if you save yeah. your money, right? It's more of a thing of like, okay, here's an opportunity for now. Uh, what what else do I maybe do in a lot of cases? Well, and I also really want to caveat, I'm totally of the mentality that that's a great approach too, right? I watch what you do and being more invested in running from a career perspective. And I think that's awesome as well. Um, but for me, I've kind of always tried to have this other facet outside of running because mm -hmm. that works the best for me. Um, and so I wanted to speak with others who had gone that route. But yes, I, I completely agree. And I think, again, I want to caveat saying, um, I think it's great to take any approach that works for you. I just find for myself, I like having this other outlet. Um, and mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably a few different angles. There's the, the idea of being all in in terms of I'm just going to train and race, or if it's a different sport, you know, participate in getting narrowly invested in that one area versus whether it's part of the sport, but a career within it, more like what I do with the podcast and coaching and running and things like that, or 
someone like yourself where you completely separate where when you're not when you're at work it's got nothing to do with running so there's a lot of interesting kind of stories in there and it's actually funny because like we're recording this now a day after the the olympic trials and one of the storylines that was was kind of fun with that is obviously you get the people that finish on the top of the podium who are in most cases full-on professional athletes where their number one goal when they wake up in the morning is everything around the workout but then there are are people there who are not professional athletes as their their day job, so to speak? So you hear all the stories of like the, you know, the parents, the careerists outside that were are also quite good at running the marathon yeah. and happen to be at the trials. And every once in a while, one of them does sneak into the Olympics. I think what was it the, I think the the third place, fourth, fourth fourth place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unsponsored, mm-hmm. um, full career outside of running, and yeah. found themselves one position away from punching their ticket to, to Paris in this uh, this end of summer, I guess, at the game. So I think, uh, yeah, having conversations with people who have uh, really driven their success with whatever sport they're doing, but also have a whole nother career alongside it is going to be an interesting conversation to hear how they navigate that. Yeah, I'm really excited. And so my first guest is Allison Maxis. And I have been so fortunate to have the opportunity to run with Allison for the last year. Um, she is um, a phenomenal athlete and awesome person that I, um, I'm i lucky that she's willing to slow down and run with me. But <laughs> she is a three-time Olympic trials qualifier. And now she and her husband have created this very cool concept of rogue expeditions where they take people around the country on running trips. So just hearing how she's balanced it all and her outlook from a running perspective, I've always really admired her just being able to train at such a a high level and also just knowing when she was ready to pursue other things. So I I really always um, enjoy my runs and, and talks with Allison. So I'm excited to have her on. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. And I think when the when the career component has a lot of travel in it, that is like another layer of impressiveness to me because you're 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 outside of your little like training yeah. routine a lot of times in those cases when you're flying to a different area and you have to run routes you're not familiar with or transfer to different time zones and deal with you know the repercussions of that too, which is something you are not unfamiliar with either. You haven't traveled as much work recently, yeah. but you historically you have. Yeah, I used to travel a lot for work, probably. Um, three to four times a month on a pretty reoccurring basis. So I, I definitely used to know what it was like to, um, to travel and, and try and navigate all of the training at the same time. I am fortunate now post pandemic, I really don't travel as much. Ironically, I'm traveling this this next week week for work. Um, but it is, you know, it's nice not to have to do it as, um, regularly because I do think it's, it's nice from a training perspective to be able to have your, your schedule so much of, I think what sets you up for success for, for, um, athletics is really having that time and being in the same time zone, um, knowing your routes, things like that. But there is that element that I always kind of enjoyed about being able to kind of explore the U.S. on work trips, right? I've run in some, I've run pretty much, you know, all over the country and just gotten the chance to check out new places. Um, So yeah, I mean, there are certainly wins there as well. Mm -hmm. 
I think one of my favorite stories about you and your job alongside your ultra running endeavors is in, I think it was Western States 2019. You were seventh, so you had a really good performance there. And you had a meeting in Chicago the Monday after the race. So you're in uh, Auburn, California at 11 a.m. Sunday morning getting an award for finishing the top 10 at Western States. And then less than 24 hours later, you're in an office meeting with a group of people after flying all the way from Auburn to Chicago and dealing with all the you know, ups and downs of navigating your your soreness and lack of energy post hundred mile race and also doing that sort of stuff. So that was impressive. No, thanks. (laughs) Well, I always kind of enjoy right after the race because you're not supposed to train quite as much. So it's kind of the good time to go traveling for work, right? And eat all the good food, um, and have all the meetings, the later like hours. Um, I think it kind of works out pretty well, but yes, I Mm -hmm. definitely remember being tired. Um, but you know, I think definitely one to to remember. I think we went to Seattle after another um, Western States run, like shortly yeah. after you've. I mean, you I think have been with me for some of those trips, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, that was. Oh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Was that 2019? Yeah. Where I think it was probably 2017. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, there's probably been enough of them. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of Westerns. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of interesting post-race uh, work trips and whatnot. So yeah, I think it's a cool concept. I'm excited for some of the guests. I'm actually like on the inside to some degree, given that I host this podcast and edit it. So I know some of the upcoming guests and I'm I'm excited to listen to it too. So I'll have to uh, be patient and, and not sit in on all of them so I can kind of be like the listener who gets to wait for it on <laughs> release date. I'm I'm so fortunate to have so many um, cool people that I'm surrounded with to have a lot of um, good potential guests. So awesome. So yeah, listeners, let us know what you think. Uh, if you got suggestions for guests for Nicole, feel free to send them our way. Otherwise, uh, we'll be diving in and finding them. So uh, welcome, Allison, for the first episode. Yes, I think you'll be impressed. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that this podcast sponsors include S-Fuels. They have a 15% offer for you. Element Electrolytes, they have a free sample pack offer for you. John G Apparel has a 10% offer for you. And Delta G Ketones has a 20% off and free consultation offer for you. Links and details can be found in the show notes and the episode landing page. You can also check out a full description of how I use all of these products in my own training and racing at the end of this podcast episode. Today, I have the honor of of spending some time with Allison Maxis. Um, Not only is she a wonderful friend, but certainly she has a number of accomplishments to her name. So certainly not only a, a list of strong running performances that we'll talk about today, including three qualifications for the Olympic trials, as well as a 239 marathon, also is the founder of Rogue Expeditions. And we can talk exactly about what that is. But also just a phenomenal person. So I wanted to spend some time with Allison today and share her story because she's incredible. So Allison, welcome. Thanks. So good to be here. Yes. We're so happy to have you. Um, I just want to start out because I think part of your story, I want to take us back to when you first started running and how you really fell into the sport. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I grew up playing basketball, actually, um, started doing that in like first grade. Um, that was kind of what I lived and breathed all through elementary and middle school, um, into high school. 
And I had, you know, I had always been a quicker runner, but in sprints and things like that. And I had a good friend who was on the basketball team and she was on the cross country team as well. And she had just been hounding me forever to come try it out, try it out. Um, and I decided to go to a practice one day just to get her off my back. I thought I had no interest in running at all. Um, so I went to a practice and I was a very shy, very kind of type A perfectionist type kid. So I was too nervous to tell the coaches I wasn't serious. Um, so I kind of, you know, did this internal debate and I'm like, okay, I'll come to these practices this week and then I'll just never show up again and they'll forget about me. Um, but they signed me up for the race that weekend because I was there. Again, I was too shy to say, oh, I don't really want to do this. So <laughs> I was like, I'll run this one race and then they'll never hear from me again. Um, so we were, I was in Texas, so it was a two mile cross country race and yeah, ran the race and there were a few hundred runners in it and I finished 10th and I was the first on the team by like two minutes or something. And obviously that was fun. Um, and it kind of clicked for me right away. I was like, oh wow, like maybe I'm kind of good at this, you know? And I was okay at basketball, but I worked my butt off and that was why I was good. Yeah. I wasn't going to play in college or anything like that. Um, but it was enough. Fun. It was fun enough. It got me to come back for another week. And I started to realize in that sport, people don't yell at you and make you cry. They're really <laughs> supportive. And um, it all just fit a lot better for me. Um, so I stuck out both sports for a few weeks and then I quit basketball and the rest was kind of history. You know, I went into running into college and then um, I'm in the pro development team after that. And yeah. Yeah. Today. <laughs> and, and tell us more about your college experience. What what did you specialize in college? You know, I went to a D2 school, um, University of Tampa in Florida. I actually did not want to run in college. So I got into this. I was a sophomore in high school, um, did really well on, you know, the whatever district we were in Texas and went to state and won most of my races. But again, I was this perfectionist kid and I got very, very stressed out about racing. Um, anxiety was super high around it. So, you know, from Thursday night on, I would be in tears, just worried about these races. And it wasn't my parents or anything. They just yeah. couldn't understand why I was so, they were like, if you don't win, then who cares? And to me, it was everything, you know? So I had, even at that age, I realized I really liked to run. And I had this dream that I would go to college and just be a normal college person and go run as far as I wanted every day and not think about racing. Um, but then college got closer and I kind of started to realize maybe I could get a scholarship and it could pay for me to go somewhere. So I did end up going to the University of Tampa. Um, I had a friend, I went with her on a road trip to a family reunion. Her mom had us look at the school. It's a beautiful campus. It's a very small school, D2. And kind of as an afterthought while we were touring the campus, I said, oh, do the guys have a cross country team? And they did. And at that time, they did not have a track program, only cross country, which I loved because I hated track. Yeah. Um, and so I talked to the coach and kind of one thing led to another. We stayed, stayed in touch and I ended up getting enough scholarship money to be able to, between that and some academic money and everything else, be able to pretty much pay my way um, to that school at that time. So decided to give it a shot. Um, my parents were very like, if you hate it, you come home after a year, yeah. it's fine, but go try it. So yeah, I was 17 when I left and moved 1200 miles from home, which I'd really never been out of Texas before. So that was a huge deal for me at that age. And yeah, it was a great team. My coach there, uh, Coach Slavin, his assistant, Jor Vagnan, they were like, they were like pseudo fathers to me. Um, it was just an instant family. And I think probably a lot of kids in college, your first year, you're kind of, especially if you're away from home. I think I, I wanted to come back to Texas. All my friends were in Austin. I wanted to go to Austin. Um, but I stuck with it. And I think largely because of the team and after you get past the first semester and then I loved it. And that was, that was really my whole college experience I think was running and those teammates and the coaches and 
because it was D2, it wasn't super high pressure, but we went to nationals every year. It was competitive. And um, yeah. yeah, it was just, it was all positive. I think it totally shaped my college experience. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And um, from a next step perspective, tell mm-hmm. us a little bit more about the pro development team, because that's pretty, that's very impressive and how yeah, that, that came to be. That kind of came by chance. This is it's a theme in my life. I graduated college and was like, oh, now I can just run as far as I want for fun every day and I never have to think about racing again. <laughs> and that was what I wanted leaving college. I had no intention of continuing trying to develop a career of any sort. That wasn't even on the radar. Um, I was good in that D2 world. I was not great. I was, you know, a 17 minute 5K runner. And, you know, I ran the 10K in track and I think I was like a 35 minute 10K runner. So back then it was, I could go to nationals, yeah. but I wasn't going to place or anything like that. Um, so I moved to Austin soon after I graduated, just like I'd always wanted. Um, I had a, one of my best childhood friends got into grad school, needed a roommate, so I came with her. And I looked for a running group here before I looked for a job, um, just to have, I wanted to keep doing workouts, maybe race local 5Ks. That was the extent of what I intended to do with my running. And got in with a group here, and almost immediately, I mean within probably two months of moving here, got a pelvic stress fracture. And I... I think it came from having my first desk job, probably. I was a graphic design major, so I was in this very like entry-level graphic design job, sitting from 8 to 5 every day, and then I would go do these afternoon workouts, so I would get up from my desk at 5 yeah. o'clock, go 10 minutes down the road, and do a track workout. And in, I, I theorize that's kind of probably what caused it, um, some hip and back alignment issues that I just pushed through until I broke my pelvis. So it was a, a pubic bone stress fracture, and in the end, I was out for a year with that. Um, probably didn't have to be that long, but I did not know how to rest back then. So I was, I didn't have any good advice. I didn't have a PT who had ever seen anything Mm -hmm. like that. I was young. I had no money. I was avoiding doctors. So I just tried to get on the elliptical and cross train my way through it, which did not help it heal. So I was out for a full year. Um, during that year, I, I think of it as a good thing because it caused me to think about other things I could do with my time. Because at that point I was just going to work in happy hour. I couldn't run. I had no running community, nothing like that. Um, so I started going down these other rabbit holes, ended up deciding to go teach English in Thailand. I was going to decide to quit my job. I was like, I'm young. I don't have to have this job. I want to go travel. So mm-hmm. I left, I went to travel. I was in Southeast Asia for a year, um, with my now husband. We had just met and separately had plans to move to Asia that year. So we ended up going together, um, gone for a year, came back. And as soon as I got back, I looked at my old coach, the one that I had been with for like two months. And I was like, I'm healthy now. You know, I'd been running while we were in Asia, not aggressively. I had no plan. It was just if I was somewhere where it looked good, I would run. And, but I felt like I wanted to train again. So I came back again. The intention was race some local 5Ks. And about that time, I started working at Rogue Running. I was was doing kind of their marketing emails and beginning to coach. I knew nothing about it, but they were like, if you work here, you're a coach. So um, I was kind of part-time there. And that was about when Steve, uh, Steve Sisson and Ruth England were starting. Um, back then, it was Team Rogue Elite. So the idea was a college or a professional development team, Olympic development team for people who were, you know, had a lot of promise coming out of college but weren't quite good enough to be pro, give them some kind of stipend, allow them to train, and ultimately try to make the Olympic team. Obviously, I was nowhere near that caliber, not even close. Um, oh, don't say no, that. No, I mean, I wasn't. And you know, I had just raced a 5K here in Austin. I think I ran like 1730 or something. It's like quick, but not pro by any means, not even close. And Steve Sisson, I remember he had come in and they were, I guess, putting this team together. I really didn't know him at that time. He was coaching at UT. 
and so he wasn't around too much. But I remember he had a number of guys coming out of UT who were wanting to be part of this team, and he had no women. And I was there working at Rogue Running, which he was part owner of. And I remember he came in the training room one day where we had our office, and I'm just typing away in the computer, <laughs> doing my thing. And I hear him go, well, you ran a pretty good 5K. You might be an okay marathoner. Do you want to be on this team? He's like, I can't recruit any girls if I don't have any girls. And I was like, I'm not sure if that was a compliment, but <laughs> like, <laughs> sure, why not? So next thing I know, like we're putting this team together, and it was decided from the beginning I'd be a marathoner. Um, I'd always handled mileage pretty well. And so I just, I started running 100, 120 mile weeks, full on like elite level training, um, whole goal being the Olympic trials, um, which I did qualify for in 20, for the 2012 trials. Um, so yeah, it kind of, I was on that for a few years and that team ebbed and flowed and, you know, it became Rogue Athletic Club that was under a few different sponsors. It was Under Armour, then it was Adidas. Um, I eventually stepped off the team formally because I was probably one of the only ones who I had already had full-time work and a salary. And then I was also doing this. Most everyone else was coming right out of college. And so they were kind of in the, like, they were doing it properly, right? Like Mm -hmm. taking the stipend, working part-time, having more time to train and recover. I was, you know, working 40 hours a week and coaching and running 120 miles a week. And it was, you can only do that for so long. And in my mind, I wanted to run the Olympic trials and the marathon. And then that was it. I checked the box. Um, obviously that's not how it works, but I did, once I checked the box, I did formally leave that team, but I still trained with the group here in Rogue and had three more Olympic trials after that in years afterwards. I I was going to say, it's pretty amazing that after that first Olympic trials, Mm -hmm. you again said, oh, I'm done. I just want to run as far as I want. You (laughs) continued. I think we, we both share that. It's kind of like, we just don't seem to retire at some point. It just continues to um, move forward. But I love that then you went for two more Olympic trials yeah, yeah, it was a, uh, it was funny. You know, the first one meant the most. I think obviously that that would always be the case, right? It was something I yeah. worked really hard for. I missed it on my first attempt by forty six seconds, and got it on my second attempt. And you know, it was huge, huge for me back then. And it was sub two forty six, which now feels so slow um, or sounds so no. slow. But back then it was a huge deal. Um, and then the other two still really meaningful. But I also going into those two, I knew I could qualify. I had run the time plenty of times before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the first one is a really, really special memory. Yeah. And just taking a step back, where was that marathon where you qualified? And I mean, then how many women true to were in the trials with you at that point? In 2012. So I qualified in Vancouver, um, British Columbia. I had tried to qualify in Houston in 2011 and I ran 246.46. I still uh-huh. remember it was like warm and humid and slippery out. And I was just it was my first marathon and I was so naive as to what the humidity could do to you. Um, and so, yeah, I was just, didn't get it. Like I was 46 seconds off and that was, I think I was less upset about the fact that I missed it and more upset about the fact I was going to have to run another marathon at that time. Cause it was, yeah. Oh, it was so, so hard. Um, so anyway, so then we started looking into where I could attempt again before the 2012 trials happened while the window was still open. And I was just, racking my brain on where could I get cold weather, realizing how important that was going to be for me in performance. And this seemed like Canada was the obvious choice. So uh, <laughs> Vancouver was in May. So I went up there and I don't remember my time. It was 2.44 or something. So I think it was, it was a an, 244. It was an easy, I was easily under the qualifier. And um, yeah, it was a whole different experience from, from the first one. So um, that was really just super exciting. I mean, that was 
total giddiness, I think, after I qualified for that. And um, yeah, the 2012 trials themselves were in Houston. It's a fantastic year. We had perfect weather. The race was so well organized. Everything there was... And of course, I was super excited to be there. Yeah. But I, I have nothing but positive memories of that entire experience. Um, I believe that, that year was 160 women who qualified yeah, under see, 246. That's, which that's is amazing to feel like you're lining up with the like the best in the country, which is phenomenal. It is, and it's and it's it's just crazy to see like now that would be such a kind of pedestrian time and how oh. how fast things have gotten and is, how. Yeah. They have. Um, From your perspective, I mean, looking at that, what do you think is that driver for just so many more young women, I would say, mm-hmm. especially young women, really getting into the marathon post-collegiately and yeah. just having so much more success? Do you curious um, your thoughts? I don't know. I think there's a lot of factors that could be in play. I think some of it, I think probably I was maybe the first, maybe second generation of girls, women who grew up kind of assuming you play sports where that was a very normal thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you go back much further, it was kind of, it was a lot more rare for girls to get into sports in the first place. So how much undiscovered talent was there? Whereas now yeah. I feel like it's kind of a given, girls, boys, whatever, we're all mm-hmm. gonna play sports. And if you are someone with talent, you're gonna figure it out. Um, so I think just probably the sheer depth and number of people yeah. who are trying it out, um, seeing what they have, I think that's a big part of it. Um, and then, yeah, I think some of it's just the bar getting set lower and lower. like. You know, when I was trying to qualify for that trials, we had to get under 246 and everything was geared towards that. But had it been 243, would we have all done that? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. You know, now it's, and there's going to be a limit for everybody. There is a, there is a physical limit for everybody, but you still see even with the trials this year, you know, this drastic reduction and it's still a pretty significant field, yeah. um, all things considered compared to how many women ran that time in the last trials. Yeah. And is that just knowing where that bar is and some of those mental blocks maybe drop away when you see other people doing it. I think yeah. there's a lot of power in that. Yeah, absolutely. It was phenomenal. And just, I mean, thinking that you have participated in three, that's that's really has to be a good feeling. I think yeah. now even thinking there are some um, runners that are, I, I don't know how many is the the record, but I know on a run recently we were talking about some of the women now going on number five. Yeah. It's just yeah. like the the span of time that people yeah. are competing is just phenomenal. Like, mm. do you ever have a thought that you want to go back to that world or what made you kind of actually retire to some extent from that that higher level? Yeah, I, I actually don't think I want to go back to that level. I feel that it was a really cool, really positive chapter of my life. And I feel that I don't desire it anymore at all. Yeah. Um, and that was never a decision. I always thought it would be. I was so deep in it for so long and everything revolved around training, racing, how fast can I run? That was everything, you know? And it kind of has to be to compete at that level. And I always wondered how long I would do it for. And in my mind, I would just, I would either get old and I'd slow down or for whatever reason, I wouldn't be able to anymore. And I always wondered how will I deal with you know, my time's getting slower because at that point in my life, like that was how I defined success was how fast do I run. And so I wondered like how I would handle this, like seeing times get slower and when would I just give up on the racing? But it didn't go like that at all. It just kind of naturally started to fade for me. And, you know, I think a lot of it probably comes into my business and what I do for a living because I think I scratch a lot of that achievement itch and the running community itch, all of that I get through what I do for work. So I think as that grew, my kind of attachment to competition was fading. 
And so even, you know, I qualified for the 2020 trials in 2018 here in the Austin Marathon, which was, that was a surprise. I didn't think I would qualify on that particular course, but I did. And I wasn't well trained for it. I just was here and decided to run, ran 243 and got my qualifier. And I remember qualifying and it was, I was happy it was done, but I was, the excitement was not the way it had been for the other two. It was kind of more of a, oh gosh, I have to do this again. (laughs) And it's still two years away. And so you know, I assumed as the race got closer, I was going to actually have a chunk of time here to train properly. And I was like, I'll get that fire back and, you know, maybe I can PR and it just didn't come back. I was happy to go show up to workouts, do enough work, but I didn't want it the way I used to want it. And it was the same on race day. I, I actually probably enjoyed that trials the most because I didn't care so much. I had no real expectations for myself. I wanted, I wanted to be, I wanted to know that I'd trained enough and I ran to that ability you know I didn't want to blow up or drop out but I also had no aspirations or there was no reality in which I was going to be placing or PRing or anything you know but I love that because you realized you had achieved your you know your your goals right Mm -hmm. and it's like to understand that you were fulfilled by that I think there's a really important nuance there that just realizing that and and feeling proud of what you've accomplished and just going in a different direction. I mean, I think that's pretty bold. Like sometimes, I mean, I know for myself, sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm hesitant to do things like that. So I love always running with you and hearing you talk Mm -hmm. about that because I think it's really an important thing to share. You don't always have to follow the same road and, you know, there are other ways you can find fulfillment in life. And that I think is a really important, um, nuance. And I love now what you've done and have so much passion for with Rogue Expedition. So want to hear more about that and how you started that and where that idea came from. Yeah. Um, so they're all, it's whole, it's all intertwined, right? So in, So I was working for Rogue Running here in Austin. It's a training organization to train anyone from beginner runners up through Boston Marathoners. Um, I had been working there for quite a few years at that point. And it's a small business, kind of doing a little of everything. And in 2012, it was after the trials, um, Gabe, my husband, and I had decided we were going to take a trip. So, you know, we had spent that year in Southeast Asia together. We, he before had done a year in South America. We'd both done a lot of long-term, like quit our jobs and go travel around. We had done that, but we had never just taken a two-week vacation before. So we agreed that after the trials, we were going to go. I was going to not worry about running. I wouldn't be training. We were just going to go like see something new and get back to kind of that, you know, exploratory stuff that we were both really enjoy. So we had... I'll try to condense this as much as possible, but we had essentially, one way or another, we had decided to go to Morocco. So we had been playing with Europe and then Portugal and then kind of worked our way and got interested in Morocco. So we decided that's where we were going to take a trip. And we had 10 days, 12 days, something like that. And we, being our long-term backpacker travel selves, we planned nothing. We, I mean, to the point where we didn't even have a hotel for the day we got there, we just had this mentality of, oh, we'll show up and figure it out which makes a lot of sense when you're traveling for a year, but not when you're traveling for a week and a half, right? So we go and we figured it out. But I think as the week went on, um, it was we weren't realizing this in the moment, but it was becoming clear that when you have a trip that short, like you do need to plan this stuff in advance. Otherwise, you spend all your time just trying to figure out the basics. Like how do I get a bus from here to there? How do yes. I order food? How do I completely foreign place? So we fumbled our way through it and... 
I wasn't running at all that week. I didn't know I was right after the race. So I was kind of in recovery. I didn't know if it was safe or what I could wear or if that was a weird thing to do. Gabe is definitely not volunteering to run with me. So <laughs> I was like, we'll do a little hiking, but really I'm just, I'm not running on this trip. So we, to condense this whole story, had a random encounter with this guy um, who was a guide. He was, had asked if we wanted to go down to the Sahara, which was the main thing we wanted to do in Morocco was go camping in the Sahara. And being the diehard independent travelers we are, we were like, we don't need anyone. But we knew we needed someone for the Sahara. We weren't going to drive our rental car off into the sand. So <laughs> we had this random chance encounter with this guy that we just had a really good feeling about. It, the timing was right. And we hired him um, to take us into the Sahara to camp. And so it was him. His name is Hamid and a driver. And we were with him for two nights. Basically, we rode camels, camped in the dunes, sat around campfires, did the whole Moroccan Sahara thing which was incredible. Um, it's just magic. And one of the nights we were sitting around a campfire, Gabe and I were, had drank a bottle of wine between the two of us and we were talking to Hamid and I brought, I hadn't even mentioned I ran, like we'd known this guy for a day at that point. Um, but I was like, does anyone go running here? I was like, cause oh, we've been traveling around. It's just a beautiful country. All these like dirt yeah. roads, trails, there's no traffic. It's gorgeous. It was so, so much better than what I expected. And you know, his response to me was, oh, one time I had some French clients who wanted to run, so I drove my car and I gave them water. I was like, interesting. And so I've had a bunch of wine and I'm like, what if I brought some of my athletes here and we could like run around in Morocco? That would be really cool. So we're telling him like, we're going to come back with runners. And his response is inshallah, which means God willing in Arabic, which is kind of the like de facto response as, yeah, of course, hopefully, (laughs) Um, but no, you probably won't. (laughs) So we come home from that trip and I had his back then. It was just like a cutout piece of paper, business card with his hotmail address and uh, came back and I was still like on this idea, not as a business, just as like, can I get some of my athletes? I was coaching, you know, to come, it'll be like going to a race. We'll go to Morocco and go running. Right. So I proposed it to Ruth, who was the owner of Rogue Running at the time and my boss. And as we did everything back then, she said, we'll put it in a newsletter and see what happens. So I emailed this guy. I'm like, send me an itinerary. Like, where would we go running and how much would it cost? So he sends me this itinerary, gives me a price for each person. And we put it in a newsletter. We marked it up like just enough, I think, to buy our flights. That was it. I think we lost money running that first trip, but we were like, let's just see. We put out 22 people signed up for it wow. the day we sent it out, um, which was incredible, all just from the road running, Austin running community. And then it became very real. And we were like, oh, we got to like <laughs> take these people to Morocco. <laughs> and so, I mean, we had maybe, let's see, we got back in March, so almost a year before we actually conducted the trip. Mm. And I was super anxious in the lead up because, you know, Hamid never gave me a reason to doubt that he would be there or deliver on this, but... At the same time, I'm like, I have 22, they, they were buying flights to Morocco yeah. and it's becoming very real. And Gabe and I both are like, oh, what are we going to do if we get there? And like, this guy's not there. But we went and we did it. And of course, Hamid was there and just knocked it out of the park. I give all of the credit for that first trip to those guys because we knew nothing. We had been there once, but we weren't planning a running trip. And, you know, looking back, that trip was very rough around the edges compared to how it is now. But it was a total adventure. It was a blast. Um, everyone it was, it was just incredible. It, and back then, no one was doing anything like that. So it was this yeah. very novel concept. And everybody had come from Austin. So they were all on the same flights. And we all went to Madrid afterwards. And it was just this, it was so cool. Um, so we knew we would do that again. But that was it. Like Gabe had a full-time job in construction, not e- nothing related to running. We had no intention of becoming a travel company. But, you know, everyone on that trip was 
You're like, well, where are we going next? And you're like, <laughs> nowhere. Like, that was the trip. It's done. Are you <laughs> like, planning the next it's trip? It's done. Um, but, you know, we were just kind of on a high from it. And someone who was on that trip, she introduced us to a guy here in Austin um, who's now our partner in Kenya. He's Kenyan. And wow. she had done a little safari trip with him. And she was like, your trip and his trip are the two best I've ever done. You guys should talk. So we met him back here in Austin. And next thing we knew, we're going to Kenya to plan a running trip. And it just, it grew very organically, but um, yeah, that was kind of the pivotal trip was that post-Olympic trials vacation. Yeah, wow. I mean, and if you wouldn't have been willing to take that plunge, I mean, your life would have been so different. So, very much so. just the willingness to take on like a new challenge and an opportunity, I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I've, I've always been a big believer of go with your gut and that was kind of where we were with it. And there was nothing to lose. I mean, I guess we could have totally bombed the first trip and that might have been a problem but there was really no reason not to try and it just it grew so organically and so gradually that I think it just that confidence built up without us even realizing it yeah and Allison how many um, trips now do you have in 2024 because I think there are so many different locations yeah so we we are current. We now have trips in thirteen different countries, wow. and I believe we are running. We ran twenty-one last year. I think we've got about twenty-three this year. That's incredible. Um, that we'll run. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And where are some of the places that that you can go now? Because I yeah. think that's I can list amazing. Off all, all yeah, thirteen countries. Please, please. Um, so we have. I just go by continent. We have one in British Columbia. We have one in the U.S., which is in Bend, Oregon. Um, we do Nicaragua, we do Patagonia, the Chilean side, we do Baja in Mexico. Um, over in Europe, we've got Ireland, we have two different itineraries there. We do a Slovenia-Croatia trip, um, we do one of the Dolomites in Italy, and then we are in Africa, we're in Morocco, we've got two different trips there, one in the High Atlas Mountains, a trail running trip, and then kind of more of a road, dirt road running in the Sahara. Um, and then we've also got one in Kenya and one in South Africa. I think that's it. Oh, in Iceland, we have Iceland yes. as well. Yeah. Wow. That's just amazing. Well, it's on my bucket list to do for sure. It's like everything looks incredible. The, oh, uh, even your site on Instagram, we'll have to put that in the post just how to follow, but it's, you do such a phenomenal job and beyond even the running experience, just the ability for people to get to know one another and bond. I think that's what looks like such a profound part of that experience. Yeah. That's probably been the most rewarding and enjoyable part of the whole thing. I mean, there's a lot that's been super cool about it, but I think I used to get so nervous about, um, personalities. Like I'm pretty introverted and I, and it was just funny because I'm now a trip or running guide. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm pretty introverted. And the thing that would always give me the most anxiety before a trip is who's going to show up and how's it going to be? Because you can't control that. You can't control weather and you can't control personalities and dynamics. But, you know, I believe, oh gosh, we're somewhere around 150 trips we've run now, somewhere in that range, 140 to 150. And I can't think of a single group that hasn't just been an absolute blast. And you get people from all over the place. You know, we we get primarily Americans. We get a lot of Canadians. We get Europeans. We get Australians. um, We get all types of runners. We get total beginners. We get people who are super accomplished. We get big-time ultra runners. We get everything in between. And it doesn't matter. All you need is this one little common bond of running. And, you know, our groups are typically 10 to 12 people. 
And I think what I actually think that what causes people to bond the way they do is I think everybody comes into these trips a bit out of their comfort zone. And that's different for everybody. For some people, it's the travel aspect. For some people, it's traveling with a group. For some people, it's the running. They might be nervous about their ability or the destination. Whatever it is, there's something everyone is uncertain about and nervous about when they come in. And I think that really just lends itself to a really quick, tight bond with people. And I think by the first dinner on every trip, I mean, it's already like family. By the end of the week, it feels like you've known those people forever. And that's been really, really rewarding. And just to see how close people stay, like we have these WhatsApp groups for every trip and the banter goes on for years, you know. (laughs) It's Um, like the adult summer camp experience. It is, it is. Really. Um, Yeah. And in recent years, as I get older and start to realize, I think the true draw of it is not strictly the running or the trip, like that's a big part of it, but really it's that chance for people to just turn their brains off and just go run and recover and like exist and be very present and not, they have no responsibilities for eight, nine, 10 days, however long we're gone. And I think that's really where the magic lies. Well, and there's something about just connecting with somebody Mm -hmm. via a run that I think is somewhat magical because you have this opportunity for this pretty deep conversation Mm -hmm. with people that sometimes you just meet at a running group or on an excursion, right, for Mm -hmm. purposes of rogue expeditions. And you're just kind of like, you get to a very deep point Mm -hmm. very quickly. And yes, it's It's something about the movement and the no direct eye contact. I think there's studies done on this. Yeah, I mean, it does. And it happens right away from the very first run, the topics people are already diving into. Right. (laughs) I mean, you really know people through running. I mean, the people that I probably, my best friends I've met through running. And I think Mm -hmm. there's something about that too. I wonder, like that dynamic is pretty special. I agree. But just going back, I I just, I again, I love that you found Um, joy in running, but just doing it in a different way through the rogue expeditions. I think that's like that you found fulfillment in doing that Mm -hmm. is really cool because I think a lot of us as we age do struggle with what do we do next? Because to your point, I mean, there's always, there's only this finite amount of time that you have where your, your trajectory is upward right and I mean I'm getting to the point where I know like I'm in trail running so it's you know I it's a little easier on your body but yeah there's just something about finding fulfillment in in other ways and and giving back and I love that you've done it through rogue expeditions yeah I think it's it's been a really I think that's kind of circling back into the where did where has my interest in the competition gone and I I maybe I would still be deeper in it had I not had rogue expeditions. But I think, you know, as, as you know, in your own career, the probably the most challenging thing with aging, right, is we're very accustomed to a constant upward trajectory and performance and achievement and all these things. And when that starts to slow down or even diminish a bit, it's, that's a struggle, right? And oh, yeah. I think um, with building the business, I, I got to scratch that itch, that achievement, that kind of I'm building something. I'm, oh, we sold out a trip. Oh, we sold out another. We, you know, so I get that same kind of fulfillment. And I think the timing just worked out well because I think 2019 was the first year where it was like, oh, our trips are just selling. Like people have heard about us. They trust it. We like, we had a new confidence in what we were doing and just felt, okay, at this point, like we know, we know how to run an incredible trip and it's awesome every time. And we, our confidence was really high and that kind of correlated with my diminishing interest yeah. in the competition. And so I think the timing is really fortuitous for me. 
One thing that I know you've shared with me with running that I loved when you talked about, but when you were training at a high level and starting to really develop your business, Mm -hmm. just the understanding that you would have to be more flexible and how (laughs) at the end of the day, it was more beneficial to your training. And I loved that because I think that is an important nuance. And I like that issue of balance because so frequently the question is like, how do you balance things? And sometimes like taking a step in a different direction creates more of that balance. But yeah, Yeah. Um, you know, I look back at the, so we started this in 2012 in our first trip in 2013, but was probably starting to get busy in 2017, 18. Um, And some of my hardest training years were 15, 16, I would say those are my highest performance years, 2015, 2016. Those were all my PRs. That was, I was kind of on fire those years, but I was starting to travel quite a bit. And we had actually moved into an RV and we're living remotely. We were kind of van life before van life was a thing. We did not have a van. We had a giant wheel <laughs> and truck. Um, but we realized once Gabe left his job to do rogue expeditions that we could work from anywhere. We had some friends that had done the RV thing and we really wanted to try it. So we like, even just for summers, we'll go. So we were living in like in an RV, essentially kind of bouncing around the American West and trying out different stuff. And so, yeah, my training, I wasn't with the group here anymore. I still had, I was still being coached by Steve here in Austin. He would send me things to do. And I was pretty, I was still pretty diligent at that point, but there was a lot more uncertainty and especially when I was guiding. So if I'm flying overseas, you know, I'm going to have two days where I don't run. If I'm you know, in Marrakesh for a few days, there's only so much I'm going to run around Marrakesh. Like if I'm guiding a trip, I'm not getting workouts in. Um, sometimes I do. Sometimes I have someone fast. Sometimes I'm taking photos and I run back and forth and it's like <laughs> a little fart lick, but I'm not doing any kind of structured training. You know, if I were home and I think this is a tendency in most runners and I'm just as bad, but if I were home 365 days a year, I would be very routine oriented and very historically I was, if it's on the calendar, I've got to do this this day. You know, my weekly mileage has to be this. If it's one too short, I'm going to go out and get that extra mile. Um, That's how I was. And I kind of just got forced out of it with the travel. Um, There was so much taken out of my control. And at first it made me nervous. But then I just started to see as I was traveling 2015, 2016, I was also running. I was racing the fastest races I'd ever raced, right? And I still had to do the work. But I realized that probably that forced rest cumulatively if I factored in all these flying days all these travel days it's a lot more days off than I would have taken if I were home all the time yeah because I would have struggled with even the idea of a day off but here I was throughout the year over and over taking these days off and suddenly I'm running faster than ever and I've really I mean I couldn't even tell you the last time I had an overuse injury before all this I mean yeah 12 13 years ago maybe no and that's incredible and I mean I think that's so important because I think so many of us try and cram it all in Mm -hmm. and just make sure and I think you know from that experience I know for myself just the older I get the understanding that like if you need a rest day you should take a rest day because it will catch up with you like so I love that you found that balance through guiding and just having another facet that you were focused on yeah yeah, I think it played a huge part in keeping yeah. me healthy and engaged and everything else. I wonder, too, if just the the requirement to be flexible, too, adds to the dynamic. Because so mm-hmm. much about racing is just being mentally tough and problem solving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just wonder of, like, being able to tackle different things, there's an element there as well. I think it can't hurt. I think especially in the sport you're in and ultra running even yeah. more so. Uh, but I would say in the marathon as well. You know, I think we've all seen or know athletes who are so 
fixated on everything being perfect and the reality is nothing will ever be perfect and yes there are certain things can go wrong and ruin a race day but for the most part like maybe it'll be hot maybe cold maybe rain maybe your shoe hurts I don't know like all these things it's you just have to go out there and run the race and do what you can do and I think getting fixated on everything being perfect is is a huge detriment to a lot of people um in their mental game and yeah yeah I would I would assume it had to have helped. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I always think about that as yeah. well. Well, I don't want to keep you too long, but yeah. I'm just curious if there's anything still on your bucket list in terms of um, racing or um, travel destinations. You always live such an incredible life, but curious of of bucket lists for you. Oh, I don't. That's, that's a tough a big one. question. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a really big question. I would say some things that come to mind. I do not have any particular race aspirations. I genuinely don't. Um, if the day comes where I'm not doing a travel business and guiding running trips anymore, I may get that itch back. Um, but kind of as I mentioned right now, it's like I get, I get to be around runners. I get to yeah. go running. I get to have a thing that I'm getting ready for all the time. So it doesn't really cross my mind. Um, so that may change as time goes on. But for now, if I can think of trips, places I want to go, I would love at some point to take a true you know, three solid months and travel around New Zealand. I would love to go live somewhere Spanish speaking and actually truly work on my Spanish <laughs> and, you know, some things that are, would involve, you know, actually being able to unplug, which we're not really there right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, we really can't afford to do that yet. But, uh, you know, Gabe is uh, very into what to kayaking and river things. And so he's gotten me into the world of river trips, which are some of the most fun ever. So still love to get a Grand Canyon trip um, yeah. on there sometime. Um, that's, you got to be able to both be off grid for almost four weeks straight, but, um, yeah, yeah, some big stuff like that, um, that I hope is on the horizon. Yeah. Well, that's incredible. Well, Allison, thank you so much for the time. Thank you. This is great. It was a pleasure. (laughs) Yeah. Hey everyone. If you are here, you have stuck around to hear more about how I use the products that sponsor the human performance outliers podcast. I have taken a lot of time identifying these products and brands And I'm incredibly grateful that they are both products that I'm able to use sometimes on a daily basis, and they also are interested in supporting what I'm doing here at the Human Performance Outliers podcast and want to work with me. So here's how I use them. One of the reasons I came across S-Fuels originally is it maps my protocol perfectly. So at S-Fuels, they follow a principle of right fuel at right time. This means that they don't demonize carbohydrate, but they understand the power of a low carbohydrate diet. So throughout my year, I have ranging inputs between fats and carbohydrates, but they're always based in a foundation of fats. S-Fuels approach matches that just right. It allows you to build a foundation in your nutrition with fats, but also gives you options to pull that powerful level that is carbohydrate when you need it. So in their product line, this is how I use it. Race Plus, that's their carbohydrate source. I'll use this for faster workouts or for races when I'm trying to defend muscle and liver glycogen. Train is their fat-based powder, which is basically a sports drink powder, but with fat instead of carbohydrate. Helps improve fat oxidation rates. I love it for workouts where I need some calories. I don't want to run a huge deficit, but I don't want to introduce carbohydrates. Side note, this actually makes a great high-fat smoothie as well. So if you're interested in that, check out my Instagram reels. I've got some smoothies on there that I've used this for. 
Revival is a protein powder that I will use post-workout and post-race a lot of times. This is something I can easily mix into something like full-fat yogurt or in that high-fat smoothie that I mentioned. Using this, just make sure I'm getting off on the right foot with the recovery process and maximizing my protein muscle synthesis. Next is Primed. Primed is my go-to caffeine source when working out. It gives you 80 milligrams of caffeine, but they make it in a way where it will help with focus, won't have jitters, and can help you with the fat oxidation benefits of caffeine consumption, as well as the reduction in perceived effort. Life bars are my go-to snack. If I'm doing a pretty big training block and I need something between meals, life bars give me some healthy fats and protein that'll fit right into that. Finally, Keto 3. Keto 3 is a product that I'll use basically to replace anything I would have used granola for in the past. So I keep a bag of this around and I can sprinkle that on top of the things that I would have previously put granola on when I want to keep the fats and the proteins high and the carbohydrates low. If you want to learn more about these products or check them out, head over to sfuelsgolonger.com where you can get 15% off your order. And this year, Stay tuned because I'm going to be doing a series of free sample pack offers from those products that I just talked about. Last year, some of my trail running friends told me I needed to check out this brand named Johnji. And when it came time to update my running apparel, I thought, okay, I'm going to check these guys out. I'm stoked that they want to work with me because I've ended up using this stuff for way more things than I actually thought I would. My main focus when I'm picking out workout gear and specifically running gear is how does it actually like sit on my body while I'm going through the different mechanics that are important to running or strength work and things like that. So the more a product can function the way it's supposed to, but stay out of the way, the better as far as I'm concerned. So they're kind of lightweight, breathable, moisture wicking type of setup works really well for me. Uh, they're shorts. They're AFO middle short. I actually got two pairs of these and I find myself using this for everything basically. Like I've used them for short intervals. I've used them for long intervals, taking them off for long runs, easy runs. I even go to the gym with them. So I need both those pairs. I've been going through them. They have an odor resistant uh, tack to it too. So I can usually get a few workouts out of them before I need to wash them. And I just find like my range of motion is great in it regardless of whether I'm doing those short intervals, long run in the gym doing uh, mobility routine type stuff or like muscular endurance strength stuff and all sorts of different activities. So that short is going to be in my rotation even when the, the temperature picks up. I got a couple long sleeve options too from them. There's the Repeat Merino long sleeve and the Rover Merino hoodie. So the Repeat Merino I've been using as kind of like a either a base layer if it's really cold out that I'll put on first and then something else over it. Or if it's just kind of chilly, wear like a t-shirt or a singlet isn't quite enough and I may want it for part of the run but not all the run or maybe I want it for the whole run but I don't want too much so I feel like I'm sweating profusely underneath that. This is perfect for that. So I'll use it over the singlet or just straight up first layer on and then something over top of it. The Rover Merino hoodie is one of the things that I'll use as kind of an outer layer. I'll put this over that Merino long sleeve. And this one has a few extra features to it. It's a little thicker, so I can get away with it in a little cooler, cooler weather. But it also has like a hood that you can put up and then a face mask that covers part of your face that you can use too if it gets especially chilly out there. Um, I've been using this both for the running workouts as well as taking it to the gym 
from a transportation standpoint as I'm getting there and then during my warm-ups and things like that as something I can kind of count on. Both these items are super light and packable too. So if I if I do have a scenario where I think I might need them for part of the workout but not all of it, I don't hesitate to bring it because I know I can take it off and store it pretty easily if I need to without having to worry about feeling like I've got this like extra thing coming with me that is getting annoying. The next item I got from there was the tights. Now, tights are products that I am very skeptical about usually because I always end up having this situation occur where they either feel like too tight and restrictive or they feel like they're sagging on me. So I'm either feeling restricted by them or if I don't feel restricted, I feel like I'm constantly trying to pull them back up or find a way to like fit them on me so they don't sag down. And it's just this constant battle where I just usually avoid wearing tights if I have to. These ones are much different than that. I'm loving these. I'm wearing these on all the cold weather days where I want that full protection layer. And they sit on me so perfectly. I can even stuff stuff in the side pockets. They've got these side pockets on either side. I put my phone in there. I've even taken my outer layer off and rolled it up and stuffed it in that side pocket. I don't feel like it's creating a situation where it's getting in the way or causing it to sag. Also, full range of motion. I've used this for faster runs and slower runs. And that's usually my test. If I can do a speed workout in the short, in the, in the tights, then, uh, that's great because that means I'm, I'm moving through my gait cycle smoothly. And if they're not sagging on top of it, that's a bonus. Uh, I also picked up their Atlas multi pant, which is a little bit more robust than the tights. So if you're looking for something for more of an outer layer, a little warmer, this would maybe be a little bit of an option. I've been using it on colder days uh, for, for running and just as a way to wear something warm to get to the gym or during my warm up during that. I love these because they taper down really nicely. So I'm not catching it on the side of my shoe as I'm going through my gait cycle or a movement in the gym, but they also have these really long zippers on the side. So if I do want to peel them off or put them on, I don't have to take my shoes off or feel like I'm fumbling around with it a lot. They also pack, they pack up real nicely too. So you can roll them up into the back pocket. And then if I do find that I'm taking them off partway through a workout, I don't feel like I have this like extra piece of gear that's like bogging me down much. If you're interested in checking out John G, you can get a 10% discount. Use promo code bitter10, that's bitter10, and go to johnji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com. And if you do like to shop at REI, they are also available there. Element Electrolytes has been my electrolyte of choice for quite some time now. They're actually back sponsoring the podcast for the third year. It's how long I've been using them. I actually got my sweat test done last summer where I found out that I lose 614 milligrams of electrolytes for every liter of fluid that I lose. And it's not uncommon that I'll lose a liter plus of fluid per hour, especially when it gets a little bit warmer. So I'm usually using electrolytes in my workouts, especially as they go beyond an hour or if the temperatures are a little bit warmer or if I'm just going through a lot of fluids for one reason or the other. My protocol right now is I'll do a half a pack of one of their chocolate flavors in my coffee in the morning before my morning training session. And then I'll do another half a pack to a full pack of usually watermelon in my fluids that I'm taking on during and after that workout. Their product specifically has 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. So you can go a long way with one packet. Some of the other flavors they have available are citrus, watermelon, orange, grapefruit, raspberry, chocolate, mango chili, 
chocolate caramel. They actually right now just rolled out their seasonal options. One reason to keep an eye on Element is they will do seasonal releases where they have limited offering, limited time offers. And right now their their seasonal option is chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. If you check them out and you like that sort of idea of mixing something with your tea or coffee or your hot chocolate, if you want to make yourself some hot chocolate with this, you can do that. Definitely check out the mint and the chocolate raspberry. I love both of those. If you do want to try them out, you can actually get a free sample pack right now with your first purchase. You just have to go to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO. Put in that forward slash HPO and that will offer up that free sample pack as well as let them know that you're a supporter of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. Delta G Ketones is a product I've been using for just over a year now. I started using them early last year as a a, a test to see if it was something I was going to want to use in my training and racing. I wanted to stress test them in something longer, so I actually used them at the Rocky Raccoon 100 as my first kind of test of will these handle for the duration of a 100 miler versus just what I would notice in kind of day-to-day workouts and things like that. And they are something that I'm going to keep in my routine. So my basic go-to is the Delta G Performance. The reason I chose Delta G over all the other exogenous ketone supplements out there is they have a formula and a dosage that is supported by the research that we have to date. So they are the company that got the DARPA funding to design for special forces. They've been 50 plus published studies, 20 plus ongoing studies. My protocol with them is just to take a single bottle of that Delta G performance before a key workout or before a race. And if I'm going to be doing a race that spans longer than three hours, I will take another bottle every three hours while I'm out there. So if you're interested in more details about exogenous ketones and Delta G specifically, I would encourage you to check out episode 351, Exogenous Ketones and Performance with Brian McMahon. You can also right now on their website, they understand that this is something that is new for people and they want to make sure that you are using it right and that you know what you're doing. So you can do a free consultation with them if you go to their website at deltagketones.com. If you do decide, hey, I want to check this stuff out and see what my experience is like, you can get 20% off and let them know you support HPO by using promo code BITTER20. That's BITTER20 for 20% off at deltagketones.com. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. 